So this seems a bit bad, but here it is. You get invited to a banquet, but you don't respond. Your city and your home then get torched to the ground, and you get yet another invite. Then when you show up wearing the only things you have left, you get kicked to the curb. And this is what the kingdom of God is like? We need to get into this one on today's A Critical Faith podcast. Here now is Pastor Sue Collar from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln. There are four Gospels, and each one of them tells the story of Jesus just a little differently. Each one told that story in a way that would help the readers of their day make sense of the world in which they lived. In a way, that's what we do in sermons. We tell the good news, but we try to do it in a way that speaks to the reality of our lives today. Now, that good news that we preach is sometimes easy, and sometimes it's a challenge. The parable you're about to hear falls under the category of a challenge. So I invite you to listen for the word God has for us today in this very challenging parable from Matthew 22. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So, the kingdom of heaven is like... A king who throws a party, kills those who snub his invitation, invites the riffraff from the streets, and then when one of them shows up without a wedding robe, throws him out into eternal darkness and eternal punishment. Oh, and don't forget, he burns the city to the ground. This, says Jesus, is what the kingdom of God is like. Parables themselves are are tricky ways of telling a story because it's not always as simple as 
assigning parts and people to the roles in the parable. The king must be God. The people who snubbed the king's invitation must be the Jews who did not accept Jesus as their Messiah. We, of course, are the extras who are invited in to fill the wedding feast hall and will just ignore the guy who wasn't wearing the robe. Not a good part of the story. That's often how we do interpret parables. We say, well, this, this must be God, this must be us, this must be somebody else. But in this particular case, trying to do that actually causes more questions, brings up more questions than answers. Because the story just doesn't make sense no matter who you assign to what part. In the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is about the world God intends right now, not the world God hopes for us for some place down the road sometime in the future. The kingdom of heaven is not the world as it is right now. The kingdom of heaven is the world as God intends it to be right now. We hear this refrain throughout Matthew that wherever the good news of forgiveness is preached and reconciliation happens, the kingdom of God is near and is present. We hear that whenever the sick are healed, whenever those who cannot see gain sight, whenever enemies are reconciled, wherever generosity and mercy flow, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is present in the here and now. So when I look then at parables like this one, I don't want to go down some rabbit hole by asking why is the king so over-the-top vengeful. I'm more interested in the question, what is it we're supposed to learn from this story that's going to help us live in the kingdom right now? So let's look at this parable. Vindictive, spiteful king, people who turn down royal wedding invitations. That would never happen today. Violated dress codes leading to eternal torture. Well, the first thing I gather from this parable is that it's messy. When Matthew penned this gospel, the world was a very messy place. In 66 AD, there was a group of Jewish rebels who challenged Rome and who uh, basically engaged in guerrilla warfare to try to free Palestine from Roman rule. The rebellion kind of came to a head when the person who would later become emperor, Titus, entered Jerusalem and basically raised it to the ground and burned the temple. That was also the time when there was really this, this final split between Christianity and Judaism. It was a very traumatic time and it was a very messy time. When Matthew recorded this parable of Jesus, the first thing that comes to mind is I really think Matthew was trying to help his readers and himself make sense of what was going on in the world around them. What is God doing? What is happening? And so I do think we are hearing an echo in this parable of what Matthew was living in his own life in that moment. I think it's very tempting when we read this parable to get sucked up into the violence, get caught in that, trying to figure out how that meshes with our understanding of a loving God. But that's really not what the parable is about. There's a parallel version of this parable in the Gospel of Luke. And you know what's missing from that? Killing everybody who turned down the invitation. Nowhere does it mention that a city is destroyed. 
I think when we read any scripture, we need to also ask the question, what was going on during the time the writers were putting these words down on paper? So we have a lot of violence in Matthew's version of this parable. But if you keep reading and you look beyond that, you see an incredible amount of grace as well. Time and time again, the king reaches out to his guests and almost pleads with them to please come to his son's wedding feast. He sends out the invitation. The first is an RSVP, hold the date kind of a card. And then once the date is set, he sends out the final invitation and the guests, they simply ignore it. And so the king invites them again. And this time we start to hear some excuses that they, they had their businesses and their families to attend to. In the Gospel of Luke, the parable gives us a little bit more detail. One person's business was apparently expanding and so he needed to attend to that. Another one had just got married and uh, who knows, maybe he was on his version of a honeymoon and and wanted to pay attention to his new wife there. But they, they had other things that just took precedence over going to somebody else's wedding feast. And you look at those reasons, it's kind of hard to argue with them, isn't it? I can see us making these exact same excuses for why we can't come to the party. Now, there is no third invitation, by the way, to this party because for reasons that are not explained in the parable, those who uh, snubbed the invitation, some of them killed the messengers. And so the king retaliates. He kills the murderers and he burns the city to the ground. Now think about this. It was the city where the murderers lived, but it was also the king's city. And he burned it to the ground. So I've already said this parable simply does not make sense. But let's go with it. Listen to what happens next. After killing the murderers, after burning the city to the ground, the king once again extends an invitation to the party to whoever can be found, the good and the bad. It was an invitation to people whose lives have just been burned to the ground around them. It's an invitation to them to step out of the ashes of their lives and attend the banquet of a king who wanted nothing more than to share joy and life and abundance with them. You know, I wonder if Matthew was actually a little wiser than, than I think we at first give him credit for as he talks about all this violence in the first part of this parable because how many of us have felt like everything was on fire around us and there wasn't enough of us to go around to put out the fires? who felt like life was just so out of control and we were losing everything that we have. You see, sometimes we commit ourselves so deeply to our work, to our families, to our responsibilities, that we don't see the price that gets paid. Those are all good things. How many of us can argue with focusing on our work, our families, and our responsibilities? But we can spend so much of our energy focusing on those things that we turn away actually from following in Christ's ways. We don't take the time to nurture our faith. We don't take the time to celebrate and enjoy the abundance that God gives us. And when we neglect those things, we slowly die inside. And the tragic thing is, is we don't notice it. Not until everything around us comes crumbling down and falls apart. I could say that because I've been there. 
I know what it's like to tell myself that I am so critical that I can't take a vacation right now. If I'm not here, things aren't going to happen the way they're supposed to. I have been guilty of thinking that I have to be everything to all people. That I have to jump when someone else says jump. I have been guilty of thinking that I don't have time to nurture my own faith. I don't have time to pray or read or be in conversation with others about my faith. And the thing is, is that I never recognized how much I was doing that until I crashed and burned. Even then, I didn't always see at first how it affected my relationship uh, with my family, with my church, with my friends, or with God. We are so fortunate. We worship a God who finds us in the ashes of our lives and invites us to a banquet. We worship a God who knows how many times we've said no and doesn't say, well, I'm just going to wait till you hit rock bottom. We have a God who will continue to invite even when we hit rock bottom and invite us to the banquet where we can have a respite, where we can be nourished, where we can be healed so we can live fuller and more joyful lives. So I look at this parable, and I see a parable that's all about making choices. Will we accept the invitation or not? Which kingdom do we want to live in? Do we want to live in the kingdom of this world, where we have to be all things to all people, where we have to win at all costs, or do we want to live in the kingdom of heaven, where mercy and generosity and forgiveness and joy are the way of life? It's a choice that we're being invited to make. So which kingdom would you rather live in? Would you rather live in one where we bear the weight and responsibility all on our own shoulders alone? Or would you rather live in one where Christ says, let me help you carry that? Do we want to live in a world where there is a place at a table for everyone? Or do we want to live in a world where some people are excluded? Do we want to live in a world where forgiveness flows freely or one where our sins are held against us for eternity? Do we want to live in a world where hunger and poverty are constant companions? Or would we rather live in a world where there is an abundance of all things we need, not just to survive, but to thrive? I had a professor tell me that following Christ, saying Jesus is our Lord and Savior, means we spend all of our lives from that moment forward walking with one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. When we turn our lives over to Christ, we are not magically transported into some alternate reality where everything is perfect. We are still living in a very messy, mixed-up world. There's still going to be stress at work. There's still going to be people who want to fight with us or who stand against what we believe. There's still going to be sin and envy that we're going to have to deal with and heartache and grief. It's messy being a Christian. But when we make that choice to put one foot in the kingdom of God, we make a choice to stay connected to the source of life. When we make that choice to put one foot in the kingdom of God, we make a choice that we are choosing the ways of the kingdom over the ways of this world. And when we do that, we bring a little bit of hope. We bring a little bit of life. We actually bring an invitation to others to join us in this other reality and this other world. So 
Are you going to accept the invitation to this other way of life or not? Knowing that it is going to be messy, knowing it is going to be difficult, but knowing that if we make that choice, we are not alone. We have a God who walks with us and who continually invites us to step out for moments where we can be fed and nourished and then go back with Christ at our side. There's one other piece of this parable that is not a fun part of the parable. It's that piece at the very end about this guy who says, yes, I accept the invitation. He shows up at the wedding feast and the king notices he's not dressed to the nines and throws him out into eternal damnation. What happened here? On a purely practical level, I look at this and I'm going, well, his whole world just burned down around him. He probably didn't own a wedding robe. But when we start to look at scripture, we realize clothing is a metaphor for how we live our lives. The Apostle Paul often speaks of clothing as a metaphor for our new life in Christ. In Colossians, he says, when we say yes to Christ, then we need to clothe ourselves with humility and gentleness and mercy and patience. And the greatest, he said, is love. The clothing is a metaphor for our new way of being in the world. So, to be invited to join Jesus in this new world, this kingdom, in a new way, it requires us to take off what we had been wearing, the ways of the world, and put on the outfit of Christ. If you want to live in a world where sins are forgiven, you have to forgive others as well. If you want to live in a world where all are loved, you have to love others. We have to change into new clothes. But... You know how hard that can be sometimes. I uh, actually ordered some, some new clothes today and I haven't got them yet. But, you know, when I do, I'll put them on for the first time. And, you know, they're going to feel different. And they're going to feel a little stiff. They haven't been washed before. They haven't had, you know, the, that wash that, you know, over months that lovingly softens them up and makes them your most favorite, comfortable clothes in the whole wide world they're going to be a little uncomfortable at times. And it's going to take some time of putting them on and wearing them before they get comfortable and before it's something we reach for first when we go to the closet. I don't know about you, but when I've been holding a grudge, I have a hard time letting go of it at the snap of the fingers. It takes me time. But if I'm not willing to keep trying, then I've not really accepted the invitation into the kingdom. No one's throwing me out. I'm just choosing not to put on the new clothes. This is a parable about choice. Will we choose the things that nourish life or that drain life? Will we choose to eat at the table of God's grace and forgiveness or will we continue to hold grudges and ill will toward others? If we say yes to the former, let's put on our new clothes. They may not feel natural yet, but in a way, isn't that what a life of faith is about? Learning to walk in Christ's footsteps. You know, the life of faith is about getting up in the morning and putting on those new clothes day after day after day. Before you know it, they're going to be so soft and comfortable, you're going to be reaching for them without even thinking about it. Until we reach that point, we may forget to put them on or we may willingly choose some of our old comfortable clothes instead of the new clothes of Christ. Well, that's one reason we are a church together. 
We can practice kingdom values with each other so we can better live them every day. And we can support each other so that even when our lives are in ashes around us, we can remind each other that we're still invited to the feast where lives are saved, where faith is nurtured, and where hope is born. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Thank you for listening to today's A Critical Faith podcast. Please share these podcasts with your friends and family. And to find out more about First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, where faith is nurtured, curiosity is encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved, check out and like our Facebook page at First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska.